0: Hi, my name is Jeff Pagano and welcome to the Harpen on Rugby podcast, an audio companion to the Lancer and Ireland rugby fan site, harpenonrugby.net. We are now available on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Dogcatcher, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and Typhoon. Now, it's very possible I made up that last platform, but if you're on any of the others, please hop on and subscribe. In this week's pod, I'll start with the Harpen Point on some poorly timed negative press ahead of the World Cup. Then instead of a full back-and-forward chat interview, the contributors you have heard from so far all give brief thoughts on Ireland's World Cup chances. I'll then give my own quick previews on pools B, C, and D before I'll round things off by turning my attention to Leinster A's Celtic Cup campaign. So without any further ado, let's crack on. Here's three Harpen points rolled into one theme. They're called Welsh on a Bet, Union, Really? And Always Take the Weather With You. Since I'm talking to you right now on a rugby podcast, which complements my rugby website, it won't come as a surprise when I say I love rugby. So that means whatever happens over the next seven weeks during the Rugby World Cup, I'll still love the game afterwards and I'll continue to harp on the Pro 14s, Champions Cups, Six Nations, Overseas Tours and all the other top flight egg chasing that happens all the way to the next World Cup in 2023. But particularly for a competition like the World Cup, we Rugby Nuts also have to be wary of the image the sport portrays to those who aren't quite as bitten by the bug as we are, obviously in the hope that they can join us on the bandwagon. Sure, we'll always remind them that we hopped on way before them, but in general we'll be more than happy to have them on board. So you can imagine my reaction to a number of stories I've seen around the rugby sphere with literally days to go before everything kicks off in Japan. And when you consider that these potential fans are probably only reading the headlines of articles and ignoring the substance, the overall impact can't be anything positive. I've chosen three such stories and broken them down into mini Harpen points of their own. Number one is called, Well a Bet. I'll start with a quote from an article on the42.ie. The Welsh Rugby Union have revealed they were first made aware of Rob Howley's alleged breach of World Rugby's betting regulations last Wednesday following contact from one of the Gambling industry's Integrity Teams. Okay, first of all, I can't let those last five words go by without comment. The Gambling industry's Integrity Teams? I have a feeling that name was dreamed up by the Gambling industry's Irony Team. Seriously though, I have to hand it to them. That's a decent job of spinning a branch of the industry that was clearly created to avoid being sued. Anyway, back to Howley's Howler. When it comes to the impact on Warren Gatlin's squad, well, it's hardly Roy Keane being sent home from Saipan, is it? Apparently, Stephen Jones is being flown in, and from what I've seen on the Welsh sphere, there seems to be quite a few who consider that an upgrade. But while it could be said that this issue isn't so detrimental to rugby as a whole, given that it seems to be limited to just one person in one squad, it's still not a good look for rugby, is it? It's bad enough that we're already in the spotlight when it comes to doping without having this thrown into the mix as well. Harpen point number two It's called Union? Really? Here's a quote from World Rugby CEO Brett Gosper. When you have a high-funding commercial owner of the sport that isn't the governing body, then certain calls can be made which we might think aren't in the interests of the sport's growth, player welfare, or other areas. End quote. On the surface, there's nothing too wrong with world rugby having concerns about the Six Nations doing a corporate deal with equity firm CBC. What Brett Gosper says there makes absolute sense. But my question is, why, oh why, oh why are we bringing this up now at a time when we're seeking the attention of the wider sporting community? Hey folks, check us out. We want you to get to know and love this fabulous sport that we call Rugby Union. What's that? Why do we call it union when our top international organizations disagree in public? Uh, why don't I just show you some YouTube clips of awesome tries instead? Look, all I can say is I'm no spin doctor, but can we not put disagreements like this on the back burner for a couple of months? Harbin point number three is called always take the weather with you. And this quote comes from Mike Blair, the assistant Scottish coach. Yesterday, it said there was a hundred percent chance of rain on Sunday, and today it says fifty to sixty percent chance, which means it wasn't a hundred percent chance the day before. End quote. Trying to find out what is meant by Japan's typhoon season online isn't so easy, since there seem to be more websites out there trying to downplay it to protect the travel industry than there are ones actually giving you the good info. Still, the general consensus seems to be that while technically the window for overly inclement weather can be five or six months, the apex of it tends to be in August and September. That really sounds like a good time to schedule a Rugby World Cup, doesn't it? Over a month of storms leading up to the kickoff, then another to hack its way into the fixture list. Of course, I know it doesn't actually work like that. This is the time of year that apparently suits both hemispheres best when it comes to staging the showpiece event. I harp on the need for calendar reform enough on the website to bring it up again here, so I'd like to come at this from a different angle if you don't mind. I'm sure the Typhoon season did come up before the competition was awarded to Japan, and assuming it did, the decision was obviously taken that it wasn't that important. To that I say, well, okay, that's fine, but do you at least have a provision in place should any matches be postponed? Funny I should ask. Apparently, the rules of the tournament state that if bad weather calls off a fixture, it's declared a nil-all draw, and both teams are awarded two points on the pool table. You don't need me to tell you just how ridiculous that is. Unions, players, and fans have been waiting four years for this to come around. While I know that the tournament has to crack on, so there needs to be some limitations made, surely since they knew all about the weather situation in that location at that time of year, they should have some provision in place for matches to be spawned up to, say, 24 hours? Now, given that just last week on this podcast I was complaining about short turnaround times at the World Cup, you may wonder why I'm suggesting making them even shorter. But I'd counter that with a reverse argument. Since the organizers seem to think that four- and five-day turnarounds are acceptable, why can't they run the risk of a few more of them by trying to make sure all matches are played? From Ireland's perspective, I'm never too pushed about bonus points, but what I do know is that if we plan to finish top of Pool A, we will absolutely need to get at least four match points against the likes of Russia or Samoa, and to have that taken away by the weather without any attempt at all to reschedule isn't just unfair on teams who have prepared for literally years, but it also has to look bizarre to those on the outside. All I can say right now is I hope this doesn't become an issue over the coming weeks, though I would also add that I don't exactly find the World Rugby stance of don't worry, lads, it won't rain that hard to be very reassuring. Right, that's my harp and point for this week. Now it's time for some 80-word previews. This is where we usually have our back-and-forward chat with the regular and contributor, but the schedule's been a bit tight this week at Harpen Manor for doing a full interview. So instead, I'm grateful to Messrs. Christian Ross, Kieran Duffy, Kiana Muller, Neil Kigo-Keegan and Big Joe Shep for taking the time to record their thoughts on Ireland's chances at the World Cup. First up, here's Christian Ross.
1: Good afternoon, gents. Uh, here are my thoughts on Ireland's chances at the Rugby World Cup in Japan. We are a much better team than what we were four years ago uh, in England in 2015. Um, that Argentina game uh, still gives me nightmares, but I think since then we've improved massively with the likes of the Six Nations win, uh, the win over the All Blacks, uh, you know, beating South Africa uh, and Australia. Um, Drew has built a much better squad. The squad depth is, uh, you know, far, far better than what it was, uh, you know, never mind uh, four years ago, but obviously better than what it's ever been. Uh, but obviously it's keeping key players fit. The likes of uh, Conor Murray, uh, Jonathan Sexton. Uh, I really do feel that if uh, one of the big guns, you know, goes, it will be um it will be a, a massive, massive blow to the squad, and we've already seen that. I think with the likes of you know the injury uh, gossip around uh, Henshaw and uh, and Rob Kearney as well. So uh, keeping those players fit uh, massively, uh, massively important. Um, in terms of where we will finish I think obviously the chance of a best ever finish is possible uh, the quarterfinal obviously uh, hugely important because it looks like we're nailed on if we win the pool to get either uh, the All Blacks uh, or South Africa and um, ironically I think if we were to get to the semi-final um, it would be a weaker opponent on paper than what it would be um, in the quarterfinal uh, Wales Australia France and England obviously none of those teams are I oh, know easier to beat, uh, but I think at the current point in time, I think both New Zealand and South Africa are better sides. Uh, so the chances, obviously, of, of getting uh, to to the final might even uh, present itself. Uh, I don't think we'll win it. Um, I'm hoping for a best ever finish. Uh, and if uh, if somehow we uh, we do end up um, making it um, to uh, to the final, um, then I'm sure we'll um, beat the likes of um, Namibia or you know Italy with, uh, without any problem, really.
0: Now Kieran Duffy of Post to Post Sport.
2: Three, two, one. Kieran Duffy from Post to Post Sport on Ireland's chances in the World Cup. I think Ireland have every chance in the World Cup, and to be honest, I think Ireland have increased chances now because things are going so badly at the moment. Rob Kearny is a doubt. Robbie Henshaw obviously there's an issue there. I wrote an article recently about how I didn't really like to a squad selection, but I think now that we're now that we're not as much favourites as we are, like we were against Australia in 2011. I think we have every chance. Uh, South Africa or New Zealand in the se- in the quarterfinal. I think uh, I think we can do it in a one-off game. Every team has one big performance of the World Cup. I think that could be ours. Semi-final. Don't see us getting past. I think we'll be worn out. Uh, elsewhere, I think Namibia to get their first ever win against Canada, I think uh, Japan, I'm going to say it to get out of the group, I think so, uh, even if even if, uh, uh, even if if there's no storm that uh, makes, a, makes a group game finish 0-0, and sure I'll go for it as well, Fiji to beat Australia and get out of the pool too, can't wait to be proven wrong on all those, but uh, Ireland to make it to the semi-finals, I'm going to put my neck out on the line, and uh, probably to finish fourth though overall.
0: Next up, Kiano Miller, also known as Rugby Kino.
3: We don't know what kicking game we should expect to see from Ireland on Sunday. Box kicks, exits off 10, little dinks to find space in behind rush defences. We don't know what the lineup will be. Earls and Kearney fit in one paper, Larmer and Conway to start in another. Who will be starting at luck? What's the back row going to be? We don't even know what the weather will be like. A match can- cancelling deluge or just a soft day? With a lack of reliable information on the ground, it almost feels like Joe's taking a page from the classic masters of disinformation and obfuscation. No, not the Cold War Reds, but the Cup War All Blacks. This approach leaves opposing coaches little enough to go on for overall strategy, and if a few cards can be kept close to the chest through the group stage, it may be enough to steal a march on either of the behemoth sides likely to be faced in the quarterfinals, who doubtless have had to expose their entire deck when they meet this weekend. This Irish side have beaten both both opponents, and won't hold quite the fear factor that they used to. So while they seem a daunting prospect, Joe knows exactly what they'll be facing on the day, and there's absolutely no reason Ireland can't win again either. Get through that quarter-final, and who knows where it may end.
0: Next up, we have Neil Keigo Keegan.
3: Our chances depend on two things. Number one, will James Ryan be on the pitch? And number
0: two, who do we play in the quarterfinals? I want to play New Zealand in the quarterfinals because I think South Africa beat them this weekend. Uh, And in the words of a broken-down alcoholic... Normally, I do 80-word reviews for matches involving teams on Leinster or Ireland's radar. But since last weekend was the calm before the hopefully not-so-literal storm of the World Cup, this time I'll do 80-word previews. If you check out HarpenOnRugby.net, you'll see I had a good look at Ireland's Pool A earlier in the week. So here, I'll focus on Pools B, C, and D. Before I go on, I should point out that when previewing World Cups, I generally assume that in each pool, one team is likely to win all four matches, another will win three, another two, and so on. It has happened in the vast majority of pools since the very first World Cup, and last time around, the only spanner in the works was thrown by Japan's upset of the Springboks. So here we go. Pool B. New Zealand, South Africa, Italy, Namibia, Canada. Five of the eight World Cups have been won by New Zealand and South Africa, and since they meet each other on the opening Saturday, it'll probably be a pool decider. That said, the losers should find little trouble in overcoming Italy, Namibia and Canada to clinch second place and might even fancy themselves to get a rematch in the final. Italy should take third spot while Canada and Namibia will play for the right to earn their first World Cup victory. Pool C England, France, Argentina, USA, Tonga A pool of death if ever there was one. The order of fixtures could well decide the top two. France play Argentina on day two, and England don't face either until they first settle in against Tonga in the USA. Motivation from a dire 2015 World Cup should inspire Eddie Jones' men to top the pool, while I reckon Argentina might nick that opener, leaving the French out in the cold. I tip the Eagles to just about avoid the wooden spoon. Pool D. Australia, Wales, Georgia, Fiji, Uruguay. The Welsh have had issues with both Australia and Fiji in the past, but despite shedding both their number one ranking and an assistant coach in recent weeks, I think their topping the pool is a good bet, pun intended. Cheka's Wallabies can bring it on their day, but I just don't see that happening for them in this World Cup. Elsewhere, I reckon Georgia will overpower Fiji for a 2023 qualifying third spot, while Uruguay will only make up the numbers. Now, to veer off the World Cup topic in another Harper's Point, which I've called Leinster's A Team A Plan Coming Together. I was going to do an 80 word review of last weekend's win by Leinster A over their Ulster counterparts in the Celtic Cup, but instead I'll respond to a question posed on Twitter by regular reader and commenter at Del McGee, and it goes like this. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about who might have put their hands up for senior caps on the back of preseason and or Celtic Cup performances. Maybe in the next podcast? Certainly sounds like Harry Byrne might be closing in on Big Brother at a rate of knots. Happy to oblige, sir. First of all, when I'm talking about the Leinster race setup, I have to comment on the overall team effort. Last Saturday's match was meant to be a top-of-the-table clash in the Celtic Cup as Ulster had won all of their three matches just as we did. And what's more, when their hooker Adam McBurney jackaled a penalty as Leinster tried to exit after the kickoff, it looked like the occasion could live up to its billing. But although the kick was relatively central, out-half Brian Houston's efforts hit the upright, and from there things never got much better for Ulster. On 11 minutes, Gavin Mullen went over for a try. Two minutes later, he nabbed another, and by halftime, the score was a whopping 38-0. While the visitors did win the second half 24-17, they certainly won't see that as much consolation. There was absolutely no matching Leinster at set pieces, for line speed, for breaking the game line, you name it. Of course, there were standout individual performances. I named Mullen as my man of the match since he went on to complete his hat-trick, had a nice offloaded assist as well, and together with fellow center Tommy O'Brien, kept a tight rein on the defensive channel when the match could still be called a contest. But at the heart of our attack was Ross Burn's younger brother. And if he continues to play with the kind of confidence I've seen from him over the past month or so, it won't be long before we're just calling him Harry. He shows comfort on the ball and tends to both know the right decision to make and be able to execute it. He definitely deserves some game time at the Pro 14 level at least. And with Kieran Frawley ruled out for a number of weeks, he's bound to get it. In the forwards, I was very impressed with... Hooker, Ronan Kelleher, and Locke Oshin Dowling against the Scarlets a few weeks ago, yet while neither played against the Ulstermen, their replacements fared just as well. Dan Sheehan helped himself to a couple of tries, while Charlie Ryan provided the right amount of leadership. And of course, I don't have to tell Leinster fans that the bulk of our success with front football came from our back row. The names this time were Brian Deeney, Ronan Waters, and Ronan Foley, but these days it doesn't seem to matter who wears the blue six, seven, or eight. Going back to the coaching, while Noel Macamara, of course, deserves a large slice of the kudos, we also have to credit the system further down the line, as this conveyor belt just seems to keep on bringing prospects to the top again and again, and generally they seem more than ready for the higher levels of the sport. Perhaps some cynics might say that eventually many from this lot are more likely to tug out for Ulster at the top level than Leinster, but it still has to be an overall plus for Irish rugby to have this kind of talent waiting in the wings. Right, that's enough rambling for me for now. Time for a word from our sponsor. The Harpen on Rugby podcast is brought to you by the Irish Rugby Store. Head over to shop.irishrugby.ie to look at the latest ranges, including the New Ireland jerseys from Canterbury. That's it for now. I'll be back next week, but in the meantime, check into the blog HarpenOnRugby.net for our regular content, which includes TV rugby listings on Thursday, a video on Friday when I'll look back at Japan v. Russia and ahead to Ireland v. Scotland. Then over the weekend, you can be sure I'll be all over Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, as well as the main website with my two cents on all the World Cup action. If you'd like to get in touch, by all means, leave a voicemail on our anchor.fm page or even just email me at paganoblog at gmail.com. This week's final whistle quote is from Irish rugby legend Mike Gibson in the match program for Wales v. Ireland back in 1979. Tony Ward is the most important rugby player in Ireland. His legs are far more important to Ireland than even those of Marlene Dietrich were to the film industry. A little hairier, perhaps, but a pair of absolute winners.